passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand back in Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, November 27th, 2022. I'm joined to my immediate south by Chris Gullo and to my far east by Jesse Collings. Um, Gullo, first, update on the state of the snow in South Buffalo. Here in uh, Midwest Buffalo, Almost no snow on the ground. Almost none. Have you have you been able to back out of your driveway, though? I have now. Uh, we didn't get cleanup crews until Tuesday. Um, and then uh, they suspended clean, uh, trying to get rid of the snow on Wednesday because, unfortunately, there was a death of a city worker when a high lift was backing up. So then we uh, they didn't clean until about Friday night. And then finally, being here on Sunday, for the most part, the roads are clear and everything, but... For a while, like the ice and snow, like it was still on the road. It was like bumpy. It was like hitting a speed bump every Tuesday. South Buffalo elected Byron Brown, and this is the thanks you get. Yeah, it was. It, it was. It's not not a good snow removal effort. But hey, you know what? We're good now. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm able to leave my driveway. It was a snowed weekend last weekend. This weekend was not, so that was good. Yes. Um, Jesse comes to us from the home of Frank Riddick's, perhaps Frank Riddick's favorite. WWE Premium Live Event, WWE Survivor Series War Games, the pre-show brought to you by Cricket Wireless. Um, Jesse, uh, you were not in attendance, however, for Survivor Series War Games, but many of of your peers in Boston media apparently were. Um, there were. I saw them all at the press conference. Yes. You know, it's funny is I didn't I didn't watch Survivor Series, but I watched the press conference, which I think tells you where where I'm at as a fan. Yes. Um. I watched some old Survivor Series uh, on WWE on, on the W section of Peacock. Uh, I watched what did I watch? I watched the 1989 Survivor Series um, with I, I, I don't even remember what was on it, but uh, that that is my Thanksgiving tradition is to watch either an old Starcade or an old Survivor Series. Um, I think the 1990 Survivor Series is my favorite Survivor Series with Gobbledygooker. Yes, with the gobbledygooker, mainly because of the gobbledygooker. No, I just, I like the concept of like the sole survivor. Now, granted, there were two survivors at the end of Hogan and Warrior, but I kind of, they wouldn't do that now because there's not enough stakes for how the modern wrestling fan would demand, what modern wrestling fan would demand out of their shows. But I just like the, you know, we're going to have like four five on five um, tag matches. And at the end, we're going to have, you know, 
the survivors team up baby faces and heels, of course, and they're going to have one big final match and there'll be like one person left standing and they'll, they'll get the sole survivor. There's something really, uh, enjoyable about the simple, the simpleness of just having that one night of booking. Um, mm-hmm. you don't see that anymore in wrestling. I think most survivor series are poor, but that's probably my favorite. And you have like, you have the gobbledygooker, which is funny in hindsight. You have the undertaker's debut, which is pretty cool. Um, you have like at the end, it's Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior and Tito Santana, and they're fighting like seven guys. Um, it's it's a it's a good it's a good watch. It's my probably my favorite. No elimination tag matches last night. Uh, some discussion in the press conference about whether that'll happen in the future. Um, but uh, I know what everyone is uh, nervous about going into every Thanksgiving is that whether or not you're going to have to talk about WNAW and which one is better at Thanksgiving dinner. Um, so any, any any stories to share there? And, and, and in fact, if anyone wants to write an article, I'm pitching an article here. If anyone wants to write, you know, how to talk to your family about uh, the, the competition between W and AEW this holiday season, because we still got many other holiday gatherings still to come in 2022. Um, but yes. Um, I try to keep my mouth shut at Thanksgiving table. Like my uncle's going on and on and on about you know, he's calling Kenny Omega, Kenny Olivier, and he's, he's, you know, saying that they don't know how to tell stories, that they're going to screw, that their Wardlow has lost all his momentum. I just, I try to just keep it to myself. Like, is your uncle Jim Cornette? (laughs) I think they know that, uh, I tend to, to lean AEW. Um, Mm -hmm. so I, I think it's relatively inconsiderate that those topics get brought up at the Thanksgiving table. And I'm sure I'm not Mm -hmm. the only one. They just bring, bring up these subjects because if everyone agrees that that uh, the, the Sami Zayn and Bloodline storyline is the best storyline and far superior to anything that AEW could ever possibly do, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, scary. and a lot of a lot of it's you know like conspiracy theories talking about how um, you know Dave Meltzer is just publishing lies and that's skewering my opinions on certain things. Uh, you know, I of course just want to say that they're getting their information from the wrong place, and I am getting it from the right place—the place that tells it like it is. But I try to hold my tongue. So you got to uh, acknowledge the tribal chief before you have your things. Well, before we eat, great, before, yeah, like we used to say <laughs> grace, and now it's just everyone acknowledge the tribal chief. <laughs> yes, at the head of the, there, there's just a car, uh, cardboard cutout uh, of Roman Reigns at the head of the table on Thanksgiving dinner. Um, if anyone wants to participate and tell us and share your stories of, of your uh, anxious Thanksgiving dinners discussing wrestling politics, feel free to uh, send a super chat about that or any other topic that we might be touching on today uh, if you're watching live on YouTube. Um, so today we'll, we'll talk about um, Survivor Series a bit. We'll talk about uh, some tangents I've been on about AEW and Rampage in particular and just some thoughts that I have in general about the AEW brand, and then we will have a visit from the Darth Vader of sports media himself, the man with the vest, WBD CEO, David Zasloff, um, in any event. Um, Survivor Series, War Games, Frank Riddick's favorite pay-per-view, maybe, PLE, was last night in Boston, the TD Garden. Is the TD Garden not the same building as the Boston Garden? Was one demolished? Was the old building demolished? Or yes, the Boston was. Garden was demolished like 93, 94. And then really? the TD Garden, which used to be, which originally was called the Fleet Center for about 10 years. Okay. Um, before Fleet uh, 
ceased to exist. I think Fleet was a ba- local bank that was, yeah, Fleet was a local bank that was bought out, I think, and, and merged into Bank of America. Um, and so when that kind of happened, uh, TD Bank bought the rights and they decided to change at least the the surname of the building back to Garden. So people people and just then, refer to it locally as the Garden still. And, and what's TD? Is that a, a bank? Yeah, it's or a bank. A you guys, I don't know if you guys don't have that in uh, New York, but... No, I don't think we have TD, do we? Yeah, no, it just went from one bank to another, but it's it's on the same site. Um, I believe like the par- the parking lot of the TD Garden is the site of the old garden. They have some like little things in the parking lot, like uh, this is where Bobby Orr scored the game winning goal to win the Stanley Cup. This is where you know Havlicek stole the ball, those kind of things. But it's not the same arena. Second man tweeted out this photo of her looking ominously at the War Games cage as it was risen above the the ring. Uh, earlier in the day, apparently. Um, but we'll go through some of the comments that uh, uh, Triple H Paul Levesque made uh, in the press conference. Um, I think we've all watched the press conference, and it, it was, the, the first more than half of it, I think, was with talent, which was with like Sam B. Zane and Paul Heyman and Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair. Am I forgetting anyone here? No, that was it. And a lot of it was like kind of kayfabe questions. I mean, not, not, not the media I thought was... For the most part, maybe some were, but some of them were asking questions that conceivably could work, could be interpreted as non-kayfabe questions. Um, sometimes they were being responded to with words like "as a performance." I recall, so like it wasn't it, like it was a completely in character thing. In any case, the the thing that we're most interested in here is is Paul of X comments, where he did touch on some business things and and some things that are kind of around creative strategy as well. But he said. Uh, that this was the largest gate ever for a Survivor Series, the largest gate they've ever done at TD Garden, and it was the most viewed Survivor Series. Basically, all of the, the PLEs lately have been the most viewed PLE of that name uh, because they're on Peacock. Peacock has more subscribers today than they did a year ago. Peacock has far more subscribers than the W Network ever had, and that is resulting in the most viewership that any of these tentpole events, if you will, have ever had. Because, of course, in the past, they've been on pay-per-view with a limited audience in the hundreds of thousands for the most part, with the exception of WrestleMania that probably was in the millions globally. Um, low millions, if you count, not just the number of buys, maybe the number of people in the household watching. Uh, but And then, of course, after that, you had the W Network, which peaked at about 2 million subscribers at its very best for WrestleMania season. And now we've got uh, Peacock, and surely not everybody who has Peacock is watching these events, but apparently a larger number of people are watching. Uh, and I think Peacock has got, what, it's well over 20 million monthly active users, something in, in the range of 13 million paying subscribers. So we're talking about you know something that's like six times the subscriber base of the old W Network when that was direct-to-consumer worldwide. Um, well, and W continue. Go ahead. I was just going to say it's a hugely successful show from WWE. They quick sellout sold basically. it. They did sell out, you know, with with whatever, however you want to define a sellout. WWE basically did it. Um, Triple H said something like fifteen thousand fans. More I think Russell fifteen thousand six hundred. Russell ticks. I believe had it at just over thirteen thousand, but that does not include suites. I have no idea how filled the suites were for the show. Russell took the latest count, and I don't think they've put out a final count yet, but as of 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. yesterday, 13,002 
was the number of tickets distributed. So like yeah. 2,000 sweet attendees, is that possible in TD Garden? 2,600? I have no idea, but but regardless of whether you you're using Triple H's determination of what a you know what their capacity was and what WrestleTix was, they sold pretty much all of the available tickets made to the public. Um, first time in a very long time that they've sold out TD Garden. I would assume that you'd have to go back to maybe like the Royal Rumble that they had a decade ago. Um, maybe there was like a Raw or a SmackDown that sold it out. Like on the way up to WrestleMania, there was a Raw. The Rock was on. Um, uh, did they but, do TD you know obviously in, a huge in TD Garden um, early in the return to touring? Um, I don't know that they did. If they did, they didn't sell. They didn't sell it out. If they did, they might have. Um, you know the the SmackDown they had a few months ago. Right, it was like the right when the Vince McMahon stepping down news broke, and they had the yes. whole Triple H's first kind of SmackDown that sold a lot of tickets. That I think was at like eleven thousand, but. I mean, this was their big, their biggest crowd in Boston in a long time. So I'm not surprised at all that they did a gate, um, the highest gate they've ever done in the building because ticket prices are more expensive than they were whenever the last time they sold it out, which was several years ago at least. Um, and the secondary market was really hot. I think I saw the get-in price a few days ago was still over $100 on the sec- secondary market, which was wow. one of the highest tickets you'll see um, for a wrestling show like this year. Um, so this was a huge business success for WWE. I know like this stuff is kind of like small potatoes when you consider the revenue that they get from television and the revenue they get from the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. But this was one of the most successful WWE pay-per-view, PLE, whatever you want to call it, events um, to be held in an arena. Obviously, the stadium shows are bigger, but this was a hugely successful show and it sold out months ago. It wasn't like they moved a lot of tickets late. This there was a lot of anticipation for this show um, in the local market. Clearly, mm-hmm. uh, in other parts of the press conference, uh, Triple H, he's, as he was praising everyone's performances, he talked about how this is a transition period and they're trying to blaze a new trail, but also pay homage to what came before. Uh, the closest we get to a reference to the Vince era and the fact that Triple H is is new in this position of heading creative. Um, he was asked whether war games will continue to be a Survivor Series tradition. He said he thinks that it will be. He was asked whether there's going to continue to be, if there's going to be in the future, those tag team elimination matches that we're used to seeing uh, in, in the early years of, of Survivor Series. And he said that they're, they're not done with doing anything. Um, so it sounds like maybe there will be. But there's, it's, it's been reported that there's not going to be Hell in the Cell as its own pay-per-view. In fact, that would have happened in October. That's around the time that that usually happens. It sounds like he's not going to do that as a, as a recurring pay-per-view, maybe not even money in the bank as a recurring pay-per-view. That's not clear yet. Yeah. I mean, his comments seemed like that the hell in a cell should be a blow off to a feud where like money in a bank isn't a blow off. And I forget he brought up another one too. uh, Elimination Elimination Chamber. It sounds like that will will continue to be an annual event because Elimination Chamber is not something that you necessarily shoot an angle to set up and I want to fight you in an Elimination Chamber with five other people or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, He personally called Ozzy Osbourne to get the music for for the the event. War Pigs was among the songs. It's crazy someone asked him about Ozzy Osbourne. That's crazy. Who would who would really ask that question? I'm sorry. Who would really ask that question? It was like a random <laughs> question from Byron Saxton, read it off his phone from someone who allegedly really wanted to know about Ozzy Osbourne, and that was like the second question he fielded. Some of these um, questions were read by 
Byron Sachs, and some of them were asked in person by. Right. Okay. So the people who were in person that asked questions are largely the same people that attended attend Tony Khan press conferences, and were people who were at the Tony Khan press conference after the Ring of Honor pay per view, which was in Lowell, Massachusetts. That I attended. Except for so. the host of WWE's The Bump. Yes. I, yeah. Did he ask? He didn't ask a question of Triple H, though, right? Yes, he did. Yes, uh, he did. Did he? Yeah, he did. Oh, yeah. Yes, he did. Oh, I must have missed that one. Like, I saw, like, Justin Barrasso of Sports Illustrated was there. Um, like, Liam Crowley of comicbook.com asked a question. Yep. Um, guy from Bleacher Report, I forget his name. A guy from 98.5, the Sports Hub, who was at the uh, a local radio station guy. And he was at the Tony Khan presser. Um, um, I mean, there were questions read from other members of the media who I, I, I guess were not present, including Mike Johnson, PW Insider, I think Ryan yeah. G- Glispie, if I'm saying his last name right, from New York Post. Um, so these are uh, – he, he asked – he, he, I, believe, I believe he asked the Ozzy Osbourne question. OK. But um, yeah, the questions, the questions that were asked towards Triple H would not have been the questions that I would have liked – I would have asked Triple H. There were no questions really about Vince McMahon. There were no real questions about anything that wasn't Survivor Series – for the most part, um, there was a lot. The final question was about future international events. Um, there was, so it wasn't, it wasn't, it was very much a press conference where people were very focused on survivor series and very focused on triple H's creative vision and very focused on congratulating triple H on a successful pay-per-view event and not necessarily taking full advantage of having a chance to in front of a large audience, ask triple H really important questions about the company yeah so, someone asked him if if the rumor was true that 20 years ago he pitched war games he said he couldn't remember he said it's been suggested over the years but for different reasons i'm guessing those different reasons had to do with Vince McMahon. they didn't go there um and they did talk the, the final question was from i believe lucha libre online asking about whether there would be a major international event perhaps somewhere in latin america he was non-committal and just said, "Yeah, we're we're looking to go everywhere: Latin America, Mexico, whether it's Australia." He did mention Japan, which is an idea that we've toyed with here, um, and we're looking to, looking forward to sitting down with the local governments because they're open for they're open for business, Brandon. Certainly, if and, you're in a uh, local government, and th- th- you're a local government, and- they contribute millions of dollars to the local economy when they go there. So they're they're excited to sit down with them and discuss. Yes, if you're a local government, you want WWE to come to. To your country, you can reach out to WWE, and um, I mean we've seen them. We've seen them do like the Australia show, which I think was in uh, connection with the local government, uh, yes. and that was a, a huge success from a drawing perspective. Um, obviously, everyone knows the Saudi Arabia shows. Um, I believe they worked with the local government in the for the Cardiff show, yeah. Clash of the was, Castle. That was mentioned, uh, and in, we we've in talked about comments last night. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked a lot about Latin America. I don't think they've really discussed that much about doing like a um, like a mega stadium size show in Latin America. Um, I don't know if economically that would be feasible where they would want to go. They've run shows. Have they ever done television tapings in Mexico before? I feel like they have. Maybe not. Not that comes to mind here. Um, we can. I know they've done an. Uh, they did Elimination Chamber or New Year's Revolution one year from Puerto Rico. Yes. Um, New yeah, New Year's Resolution is in San Juan. So they have done a pay-per-view event in, I guess, the Caribbean. But, uh, yeah, we, we've talked about potentially another big show in Europe, maybe in, like, continental Europe um, happening so have, maybe next year. Done, Nick Khan's hinted at that. 
they did do a Raw in 2011 in Mexico City, which was a Raw, I'm sorry, it was a Raw and a SmackDown taping, where they also taped Superstars and NXT. What venue was this at? Palacio de los Deportes, according to Cage Ranch, that had 14,825 attendees in 2011, uh, October 15th, 2011. Who was on that show? Who did they like, main event with? I'm just curious. Can you see? Uh, dark, dark heavyweight title match between John Cena and Alberto Del Rio. The, the TV main event was Jim Ross and John Cena versus Alberto Del Rio and Michael Cole. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I remember that, Brandon. You know, this is why I remembered it, because I remember it was this whole subject at the time that they were doing this big angle with Jim Ross and they shoot this main event angle where Jim Ross is in a wrestling match. But they do it in a country where presumably people are not listening to Jim Ross every week. Oh, this is a two day event. In fact, this is a Raw and a Smackdown. Mm-hmm. Two day event. SmackDown main event, dark match was Orton versus Alberto Del Rio. Uh the the T V main event looks like it was Big Show versus Alberto Del Rio. So it looks like they were they're leaning on Alberto Del Rio. There's also a Sincara versus Sincara match on the SmackDown taping. Yeah. Right. But so they, they had they, uh, it looks like they drew pretty strongly here. If if uh Yeah, if I mean and they had believe. they were really pushing Latin talent at that time. Uh particularly talent with name value in Mexico, certainly Sincara at that time at that point in time was coming off. Um a lot of fame and, and success running in, as a Mexican professional wrestler. But I, yeah, I'd be interested in seeing like why they haven't gone back to Mexico. If they could draw like that again, why not to tape a show? It would give, it would be one of those things where like, I feel like it would make raw or SmackDown one week feel really different if they did tape in Mexico. I'm, I think, I think WWE should, I think AEW should tape in Mexico too. I think that would be a cool event. If they, they wanted to have Rey Mysterio and, and Dominic, maybe, maybe you blow off that match. Rey Mysterio versus Dominic in, in Mexico. Um, yeah, I mean, you have you have Rey Mysterio on the roster, um, and he's obviously probably the biggest the biggest legend to Mexican fans that's wrestling in the United States. I would say I don't know, like if Roosh is a bigger draw in Mexico than Rey Mysterio is, but certainly Rey Mysterio would be a big star to have if you were in Mexico. On Cage Match Survivor Series is sitting at a seven point eight four with 132 votes at the moment. Uh, usually these numbers will come down a little bit, but that would that will put it above Crown Jewel, above Howling Havoc, above Extreme Rules, be the, but it would not be above Clash of the Castle, which is well over an 8, with an 8.24. Um, so pretty good rating for uh, this pay-per-view, PLE. I'll probably call it pay-per-view for the rest of my life. Um so it's a pretty well-received event. Um, and what else? WWE's stock, by the way. I forgot to, to show everyone this, this wonderful cage match logo. Um, but WWE stock is, is broken a record high for at least twice in the last week. Uh, they're now, I think that and this is higher than I remember being on Thursday, too. So at the close of the market on Friday, $80.71 is what the W share price was, which is the highest it's been since I believe May, 2019. That's a market cap of probably just over, probably just over 6 billion or just about $6 billion. The value of all shares theoretically combined, uh, as what's driving this, um, W to have it's, you know, it's broken. It's 52 week high a couple times this week. Uh, I would guess that it's yes. Part of it is probably speculation on a potential acquisition. I doubt that's really going to happen, though. But maybe the market is probably more willing to believe that than I am. That WWE might actually be sold in the foreseeable future. I think, though, that with US TV rights deals coming up, 
to maybe be finalized sometime in the spring, that every day that goes by is another day where there's no bad news about the sports rights market in general, or at least there's not uh, prohibitive news, prohibitive of giving WWE a good deal, probably a base case of 1.5x. Every day that goes by is more reassurance that they're going to be able to secure a strong upgrade in TV rights value for Raw and SmackDown. And that's probably a big part of what is driving the stock price to be up. And as we're looking here on YouTube, year to date, stock price is up 62%. While the indexes, the NASDAQ is down 29%. The S&P 500 is down 16%. The Dow Jones is down 6%. Gola, what's the, what's the latest update on Dogecoin? How, how far is that down? I sold it a while ago, but it was it was pretty bad. It, it, it got really bad. There was a tiny bump, I guess, when Elon bought Twitter, but then it went back down. <laughs> yeah. uh, Brandon, the market can, has collapsed. Yes. Can, can I ask a question? With the now kind of official acknowledgement from WWE that the second day, next day rights fees, uh, that contract is going to be like negotiated in part with the upcoming new television deals. How big of an impact do you think that has on, like, as far as speculation goes? Obviously, the deal would ex- is expected to be bigger than it was before because now you're talking about next day rights fees uh, mm-hmm. as this kind of added cherry on top of Sunday. Um, how big of an impact do you think that makes on the television deals? I think it makes dealing with Amazon more realistic. Mm-hmm. I think if they had made a deal to extend the Hulu rights to NBCU, let's say, beyond fall of 2024 – which the opposite is apparently true. They've, they've all indications. Basically, they have not explicitly said, maybe they kind of have, that, that the Hulu rights with NBCU, those are going to expire fall 2024, same time the live rights expire for Raw. SmackDown, same thing. That's with Fox. Um, and I think it just makes it a lot more realistic that they're going to be able to sell to Amazon. And they may, maybe they sell to Amazon, maybe they don't, Raw or SmackDown. But whether or not they do, there's the, a realistic ability to do that now that you can give Amazon Hulu rights, the, the next day rights, in addition to live rights. I don't think it makes a lot of sense for, for Amazon to have live rights without next day rights. Um, so that, that is strategic. It puts a lever onto NBCU or Fox or whoever else that might be bidding for this. That look, this, that, that it really brings Amazon in as a serious bidder and, We've talked about a number of times here, the number one factor that's going to determine how much these rights are worth, whether it's WWE or AEW, the NFL or MLB or NBA or whatever, is the number of bidders and how aggressively they're willing to bid. And this brings in Amazon, which is a wealthier company than NBCU, a wealthier company than, than Fox. It brings them into the, into the bidding, and I think that encourages the case. I don't know if the market internalizes that in the way that I'm describing, but I think that that's that's a real argument that that I believe an argument that says what that that W's case to get a strong upgrade is enhanced because they're aligning the next day rights to expire at the same time as live rights, thus bringing in Amazon as a real bidder. Okay. Um, again, if you want to participate with a super chat question or comment, you're encouraged to do so. Um, now I'm going to wring my hands about AEW and its, its brand strategy, its perception, and things of that nature. Um, so we will start with the announcement that 
there's a best of seven series happening. One match already happened on the pay-per-view full gear. The second match has already happened on this past Wednesday's dynamite between death triangle and the elite for this, the, uh, the six man titles, the trios titles. Um, and we, so we've got what here, five more matches to go if necessary, no doubt they all will be necessary. All of them, besides the one that, that already happened on the pay-per-view full gear, all of them are happening on dynamite. As I mentioned on Twitter, it just kind of occurred to me the other day as sort of an afterthought, you know, AW wants to enhance, uh, Tony has said, he, Tony Khan has said that he wants to enhance Rampage. Well, none of these matches are on Rampage. Um, so we'll go through some, some data and analysis about Rampage in particular and some concerns that I have about AEW's brand. Uh, so data analysis first. I'll make everybody mad with opinion later. So AEW Rampage, it's ratings. I'm not going back to to the CM Punk debut time in August of 2024 when that when they did really strong ratings in Q3, I guess. I'm not even going into Q4 of last year. I'm just looking at ratings year to date for AW Rampage. Only within this year. So you think it's kind of normalized by the time 2022 starts, maybe. This any any newness effect of Rampage. Um and I know there's uh a lot of discussion about whether or not AW Rampage would really be a B show or whether it would be another A show or what. Um, and, and oftentimes we've seen, you know, in, in WWE's case, they roll out a new TV event such as main event, and it's a big deal at first, and it quickly gets, you know, put off to the side as less important. In any case, uh, let's start the clock with the beginning of the year. Uh, again, this show debuted in August of 2021, but we're only going to start the clock at the beginning of the year. Average P1849 rating, which AW has said, that's what WBD cares about the most. Q1, it averaged, and I'm excluding preemptions in this, Q1 averaged a .21, a .21 in P1849, a .21 in Q1. That's January to March. Uh, Q4, to date, is a .13. Um, and I know the rating will probably be way down for this next uh, rating that we get, which was for Rampage at like four in the afternoon. We, we wouldn't even be including that. We don't have that number yet anyway. 0.13 when it was in a Q1, a 0.21. That's down by, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's a lot. Um, so it's way down from where it was just earlier in this year. Um, and if you look at other things, like I think, I think median age tells a very, a very interesting story about sort of the, the relevance and the, and the 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 urgency with which people, particularly younger people, want to watch this show or any of these shows that we're showing on the screen on YouTube, we're showing a line chart with the median age trends for all the major wrestling programs. And what we could see is beginning the, the the end of Q1 of this year, beginning around April for Rampage in particular, this audience goes from the mid 40s goes from what in Q1 was the youngest wrestling audience of any of these major wrestling shows. goes from the mid-40s, by, you know, by a good margin, the youngest audience, and it's climbed and now it's surpassed Dynamite, and it's getting now up into the, into the 50s in Q3 here. And now this audience for Rampage, for Rampage, is almost as old as the audience for Raw, which, by the way, during this time, has gotten a little bit younger. It's gone, gone from 55 to, you know, something like 52 or 53. And Rampage is now the median age, meaning more than half the people are older than, like, 52 who are watching Rampage. These median age numbers are always hard to actually imagine that there's actually, you know, half of the audience is over the age of 50 watching these shows. But in any case, I think the trends, if nothing else, tell you something. Um, you, think, you can easily imagine that over half the audience for 
New Japan Pro Wrestling on Access is over the age of 65. Right, right. Um, in the meantime, too, by the way, NXT has gotten younger. This purportedly terrible NXT show has gotten a lot younger. Uh, going well, it's, from- it's on and popping, Brandon. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they've got trendy news. They've got cool cool uh, gimmicks and things of that nature. Uh, scripts just debuted. So uh, NXT is now below below the median age of 60. It's, it's, it's in the, the only the late 50s now. Still older than Raw or SmackDown. In any case, I'm getting off topic here. But Dynamite has gotten older, too. Uh, after being, you know, a pretty straight line for uh, a, a good, good year or so. Being in the, in the late 40s. Now Dynamite is registering a median age most of the time in recent months of over, just over 50. So both of those audiences have aged. I think that well, well I think that means that these shows have just gotten less urgent for people to watch live in the same day because younger viewers are the ones who seem to be harder to capture. Um, so real quick, and when we're talking about media value here, WWE Raw and SmackDown get 265-205 million dollars average annual value. AEW gets a fraction of that. Yes for both Raw or yes for both Dynamite and Rampage. Only 44 million dollars a year to Raw's 265 million to SmackDown's 205 million. So a fraction of what uh AEW gets a fraction of what Raw or SmackDown get. And that makes some sense because the viewership for Raw and SmackDown is a lot higher than it is for Dynamite. But what about the demo? Well, the demo is as a far margin ahead for Raw and SmackDown uh versus Dynamite or Rampage uh also. Um Jim Ross would would tell us if it was still 1999 that the only thing that matters is getting a butt every 16 inches. Uh, but we're, really, what's become to matter more since Jim Ross said that in 1997 or 1998, wherever he did, and beyond the mat is now what really matters is the eyeballs. And if I want to measure eyeballs, TV ratings are are the the, the metric to begin with. But uh, really, what matters is everybody watching how much time they spend looking at screens, whether that's uh, your phone, whether that's a TV. And we'll deal with a TV in this case. So I want to sort of uh, boil the, the TV ratings down into watch time, into how many hours do people spend on an average weekly basis looking at Dynamite and Rampage, Raw or SmackDown. Uh, for people watching on YouTube, there, there's the numbers. Uh, I, I won't bore you with reading them, but suffice to say Raw and SmackDown are way ahead of, of Rampage and Dynamite combined, um, both in terms of total viewership and in the demo. And if we do the math that, that I did months ago looking at, you know, based on if, if viewership were the only thing that mattered, just for the sake of, of, of doing the math and, and making the argument as if viewership is the only thing that matters, which viewership is part of the argument, what really is going to matter the most is how many bidders there are for your house. But if we're just looking at viewership alone, and I, and I do the math based on how much uh, money AEW and Dynamite get paid versus how many, uh, how many, viewers they deliver and how much watch time they deliver. You know, we've, we've mentioned before that the, the TV rights value of AW is way smaller than the TV rights value of WWE. And yes, the ratings for WWE are higher. But that gap be- between viewership is, is smaller than the gap, the huge gap between payment. Uh, so AW is delivering a pretty strong audience, not as big as WWE's, but, but it, it's not as extreme as the difference in w- to which those two companies are being compensated in US TV rights value. So what I want to look at here is, you know, what is that factor of difference between Raw and SmackDown combined and Dynamite and Rampage combined? And what we find here 
in that the the degree to which ratings have declined, in particular for Rampage, Dynamite is more stable throughout this year of 2022. But that that argument, if if viewership is the only thing that matters, uh, that that argument has gotten weaker because the factor of difference between the viewership that is being delivered by WWE and comparatively by AEW, that factor of difference has gotten somewhat smaller. From the beginning of the year, if we just look at the demo, which let's let's assume is the more is the more important metric, a leading indicator of where viewership is going. That that factor was four times at the beginning of this year in Q1. Now that factor is down to about three and a half. In other words, you can still make an argument based on viewership alone that AW should get their TV rights tripled, something like that. But earlier this year, you might have been able to make an argument. Well, you could make an argument mathematically that they should get their TV rights quadrupled. So the media, so the, the argument has gotten weaker for AEW getting a really strong upgrade. Um, to, to get back to your original point, do you think that how much of that kind of decline is based related to Rampage's decline? Is Rampage sinking that kind of, because we looked at Rampage's decline in 1849 this year from Q1 now. Do you think that uh, Rampage is like a millstone around AEW's neck? when it comes to kind of the the decline overall between the Dynamite and Rampage 1849 viewership? Most of the decline is with Rampage. Some of the decline is with Dynamite. It's one piece of of what needs to be a much longer story, but Dynamite did not do a good good rating last week Wednesday. I'm not talking about this past Thanksgiving Eve edition, which we don't have the rating for. We'll get that rating on Monday, but I guess two Wednesdays ago. 0.28, the Dynamite before the whole year. Not a Good rating. We'll see how that plays out. This next Dynamite rating, this next Rampage rating that we get will probably be, be pretty weak. Uh, we'll see how the rest of the yeah. year finishes. But I, Four I think o'clock in the afternoon it was at, too. But I think there's real choices that are being made by AEW, i.e. Tony Khan, that, that have contributed uh, to, to, this, to this result. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll go back to our, our friend Jim Ross. Uh, who, who will remind us that um, what matters is putting a butt every 16 inches. And if we look at that metric, just to look at at least one other metric of AEW business besides TV ratings, dynamite attendance, according to WrestleTick's measurement of estimated tickets distributed on the ticket map, uh, Q4 is down to 4,277 quarter to date. That would be the lowest since the return to touring. Um, meanwhile, Raw is on a stronger trend. Meanwhile, SmackDown is on at least a stronger trend. This looks pretty flat. Um, and pay-per-view, we got All Out, will be down, of course, strongly from the, the All Out of 2021. Um, the pay-per-view for the pay-per-view buys for full gear, Tony indicated that it was going to do in the, in the range of 140. Uh, I will be surprised if that's, that's a good estimate. Uh, I'm sure there will be a further reporting on what the, the, the buy number was for, for full gear. Um, I think Dave has said, do you know, Jesse, Dave has said on, on wrestling observer radio that, uh, he thinks the number is going to be lower. Is that right? He said, he thinks the number is probably going to be slightly lower than the 140 mark that's been given. He said that, I believe that, I believe it was that when Tony said the $140,000, uh, figure during the press conference, and I think Tony might've even admitted to, to, to this, 
as part of his um, explanation that they had less information at that time immediately after. He said he wasn't following it as closely as yeah. he usually does. Uh, I don't believe this. So the last two pay-per-views, I believe, did about 140 pay-per-view buys. That's from mm-hmm. Indoor and All Out. Um, I think Full Gear is going to be substantially lower than than either of those. Um, well, Forbidden Door did like 125,000. 127 is what yeah. I initially reported. I believe now it's up, up to about 140 when you count everything in, late buys and so forth. Um, and that includes some New Japan World in there too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Full Gear, if it's under 140, that's, that's well under what Full Gear did last year of 155. 155. And I, I think it's going to, I will see what happens, but it, it may end up well under 140. Um, so why is all this happening? Uh, I think a lot of it is, is, is happening for a lot of different reasons. Uh, Rampage in particular, I think is being deprioritized, but I think there's real issues with, with AEW around its, its brand perception with all of the, you know, I think this is a, a Scott Galloway thing that there's, there's three things that determine the, the, the value, the perception of your brand, quality of your products and services, the quality of their products and services are still pretty good. Um, the communication, the effectiveness of your communication, which I think there's some real questions around for AEW, and the behavior of your talent and leadership. And there's definitely been some problems with behavior of talent and leadership in terms of CM Punk uh, flipping out on uh, on the EVPs in the, in the press conference after All Out, um, in terms of reports of fights between Eddie Kingston and Sammy Guevara in terms of reports of fights between Andrade and Sammy Guevara, uh, reports of conflict between Thunder Rosa and, and lots of others. Uh, and, uh, I think there's been a lack of discipline around all of these titles that, that AEW has. And why does it have more titles than, than it might otherwise? Because of, I think, I think Tony Khan is kind of exhibiting a, a classic business distraction here in getting preoccupied with ring of honor, uh, trying to grow that as a third TV brand, Dynamite, Rampage, Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor has no TV show. And I think he's getting distracted with that at the expense of, a, of his second TV brand, which is not yet secure in its value. And we see that in the decline of ratings for, for Rampage, which is, I think, especially perplexing when you, you think about what Tony Khan has talked about, um, why he got into this business. Because he saw the TV deals that WWE did in 2018, uh, including the deal that they did for SmackDown with Fox, which helped them more than triple their TV rights value. And what, what WWE did with SmackDown, I think, for all the things that I, I would bury Vince McMahon for, I think Vince McMahon has been a detriment creatively to WWE in, in the last whatever, at least last five years of his career with WWE. One thing he did right, though, was he oversaw the enhancement of SmackDown or SmackDown um, among other things, it moved around from, you know, from sci-fi to USA network, but it also in, in July of 2016, they restarted the, the brand split, which in my taste, I, I, I want nothing to do with, but when they did that, they immediately improved SmackDown's viewership. Yes. It, it went from being on, I believe Thursday to being live on Tuesday. I think live has less to do with it. Tuesday was probably a better night because it was, it was away from Thursday night football for part of the year. But more importantly, I think, than either of those things, is it gained an exclusive roster. It wasn't just this extra supplementary content. 
It was something that was totally separate from Raw. And the viewership immediately improved uh, for SmackDown, I think because of it. Um, that allowed, and that began in, in, in the middle of 2016. So they, it, they allowed, that allowed WWE to get about two years of a track record going into negotiations for U.S. rights fees in 2018. That allowed WWE to, to sell not just one real strong property in Raw and one you know, medium-strong property in SmackDown, but two totally separate uh, strong properties. And that allowed WWE to, to not just sell both of those again to NBC Universal. NBC Universal held the rights to SmackDown at that time, but that allowed them to sell Raw to one and to sell SmackDown to the other. It's sort of like selling something in wholesale versus selling it in parts. Uh, if you go to the store and, and, you, and you, you buy something in, uh, in smaller packages, you, you, you spend more for it. Um, but it, it allowed WWE to get more money for TV rights value than they would have otherwise. And I think that was a huge lesson of 2018. Not just that there's tremendous value here in live sports-like things like wrestling, but that it's better to have two strong properties than just one. And AEW has, AEW at the beginning of this year had two strong properties, especially considering Rampage was on at 10. Uh, and now maybe they still have two strong properties, but the argument is definitely weaker. Um, I think there's other problems and it's sort of a lack of awareness around Brandon. You're, you're, you're just, you're ignoring that if ring of honor becomes another television property, he'll have three television properties and it's, so you're spending time dedicating time on rampage to establishing the ring of honor brand. So then you're Tony Khan, which ring of honor, of course, is a separate company than AEW. Totally separate. Yes. Totally um, separate. And it, it is, there are two different LLCs. There's AW LLC right. and there is, as far as I know, it's called Ring of Honor Acquisition right. Company. <laughs> but Tony Khan in his mind was probably approaching it in three. Um, with Rampage, you know, I think there were... Rampage is not secured, obviously, as, as a TV property. And I think it's being diluted by, by among other things, uh, lots of Ring of Honor and just the deprioritization of it. And like, why, why would you not, just for one, one thing, and this is not going to solve everything, but why would you not put at least one or two of these best of seven matches on rampage and make people actually care about the show right when we've seen rampage be de-emphasized you know so here's here's the thing with rampage for me a few a few points the first is due to rampage's time slot okay no actually let's go back let's go back even further rampage is announced what is everyone's primary concern with rampage is is it going to be a b show is it going to be a show that has less important matches, less star power, less important happenings than Dynamite? And Tony Khan, because he's learned many, many lessons, and he's a very well-studied person when it comes to wrestling history, says emphatically, it is not a B show. It's another A show. It is not going to end up like WCW Thunder. It is not going to end up like SmackDown would at certain times. It's not going to end up like any of these other WWE properties, superstars, main event, things that have been launched in, 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 in other eras in WWE. And so everyone is like, all right, all right, we'll see what happens. And, you know, they start, they do CM Punk's debut. The first quarter is basically Rampage's like CM Punk's show. Um, and everyone's satisfied. The ratings were very good for it, much better than most people expected, certainly better uh, than almost anything else that was airing in its time slot. But then things happen and Rampage becomes a B-show. And it's just impossible to deny that. 
occasionally they might throw it a bone here or there, but it has not been prioritized nearly to the extent that Dynamite has. And we can say for various reasons that's the case, but I think that you look at what happens on Rampage compared to what happens on Dynamite, it's far less important than Dynamite. And the thing that com- uh, kind of compounds everything is that Rampage's time slot of 10 p.m. on Friday nights is makes it uh, positioned very perilously on people's radar screens because that's such an easy time slot to skip because people are often out doing stuff on Friday nights at 10 p.m. Certainly people in the 1849 demographic and certainly younger viewers are more likely to be busy and occupied on Friday at 10 p.m. And so it is much more difficult to win those people back and once those people feel like, oh, Rampage is the B show, it's not as important, I can catch up, I can watch highlight videos on YouTube after if I miss anything important, I can skip it, I can DVR it, whatever is happening. Once those people associate Rampage with B show, it's very difficult to win those people back. It would take a really massive effort when it comes to moving things like world title matches onto Rampage, moving major matches and events onto Rampage over an extended period of time to try to win some of those viewers who have dismissed Rampage as unimportant um, back. And I just don't know if Tony is invested in doing that. As you mentioned, Brandon, it seems like he isn't because you look at this seven match series, why not throw one on Rampage? That makes perfect sense. You really need those guys to anchor seven different dynamites. Um, Can you go back to the uh, seven match graphic for a second? I want to point yeah. something else out in regards to this graphic that's that's now up on the screen. Yes. Something else. So people talk about the title belts. I don't. I don't really believe in the title belt conspiracy theory. Not conspiracy theory. I don't really believe in the theory around the, there being too many title belts. But something I do want to point out. How look at how many gimmick shows do we have here? We're just on this slate. December fourteenth, we have Winter is Coming. The next week. December 21st, we have Dynamite Holiday Bash. The next week after that, December 28th, we have New Year's Smash. When AEW first started, they did experiment with some special Dynamites, branded Dynamites. Things they did, you know, they did Bash at the Beach. They did Winter is Coming. They experimented with some of these, um, some borrowed from from WCW. They experimented with these special shows, and it did kind of work. They were popping ratings for those those events. But now it seems like every other dynamite is some sort of special dynamite. And it really kind of devalues the kind of con- – I think they, they, pro- they have a kind of a proven concept where I think if you do produce a specialty show and you label it and you give it a different name, it can maybe bump your ratings and bump your viewership up, ship up for that week. I think they kind of proved that. But – over time, just by spamming different ones every week, anytime there's a holiday, you just have a special show and it ceases to kind of feel special. Um, you lose that kind of value. I do think with a show like Winter is Coming, they actually put real effort into making it feel like a special show. And that's probably going to have a bunch of title matches on it. And obviously it's going to have the MJF Ricky Starks match, which is going to have a couple weeks at least built up to it. Um, but you it is one of those things that I've noticed is over time. It's like, okay, Tony's getting a little too happy with 
these special branded dynamites. And I, while I think a concept exists where you can benefit by having specially branded dynamites, they're being totally spammed out. And now I don't think anyone cares that December 21st is AW Dynamite Holiday Bash because the dynamite before that is a special episode and the dynamite after that is also a special episode. Yeah. I, I think it's, it, it's, it's, it, it's, it looks more like a product that uh, it looks like a product that is created by the person who's in charge of it, who we hear speak sometimes in that. I think there's sort of a, a, a maximalist hype in that everything is special. Everything is great. And I would have more belief in the credibility of the things that Tony Khan says. If, if once in a while he would take responsibility for something or would, would, would admit when something was disappointing or would, you know, would dare to actually acknowledge when things aren't great. Uh, it, it, it's that, that, that seems to reflect this, this idea that, you know, everything is special. Every, every show, almost every show, lots of shows have this special branding. I, I think everybody's got a title, you know, not everybody, but there's a lot of titles um, and, and everything is wonderful. Um, further down the stream, one more point. So further down the stream, I think not every, certainly a small minority of people are paying attention to the comments that Tony Khan is making publicly. Um, but influential people are, and those influential people are, are the people who promote or detract, uh, the process of getting additional people to engage more or to try AW for the first time. And I, and I think, you know, the, the credibility of, of the hype of AEW, whether it's from the programming itself, whether it's, you know, Excalibur as the mouthpiece or whether it's Tony Khan himself, I think the, the credibility of the hype is really waning. Uh, so I think a few points with this, um, it, it just seems like dynamites, it's one world and everything else is lesser than not just rampage, but the battle of the belts. We talk about all these themes that are attached to these dynamites. They don't do that for battle of the belts. Just like, oh, by the way, guys, we have a Battle of the Belts this Saturday. It I just seems like the there's not a... Come up. I, I, have, I have more forgiveness for Battle of the Belts because Battle of the Belts is not something that, that AEW necessarily mm-hmm. wanted. I think it, it's, it's more of a, of a consolation for the fact that Dynamite had to move from TNT to TBS. It's not something that is, is I would say, originally part of the AEW vision. Like, I would say Rampage more so is. Uh, Rampage is more so about creating a, a second... TV property that has value, like SmackDown could be a separate TV property that has independent value. But you also, they devalue their own product. Um, you know, of course, you talk about the Ring of Honor stuff. In a fan's perception, Ring of Honor is a lesser brand than AEW. I mean, it never has reached the heights that AEW has. We just know that. And when you feature it so strongly on Rampage, that just makes fans perceive, oh, but this Colo, is Ring of Honor is selling more pay-per-views than Ring of Honor's ever sold. Because Tony's doing such a great job. It's because it's on Bleacher Report. <laughs> like, well, it's because AWTV is promoting it. Um, yeah, that, you know. Um, but then the other point I want to make too is, you know, you mentioned Jim Ross. Jim Ross is a guy that fans were very vocal about that his performance has dwindled the last couple of years, and what happens? He gets moved to Rampage, the lesser than show. It's they devalue well, their own product. Yeah, so the Jim Ross thing is interesting, Gullo, because I think you can argue both ways. So I kind of agree with you in the sense that I'm less likely yeah. to watch Rampage now that the Jim Ross is on it. <laughs> I want to I point out one week after I published the column on voiceofwrestling.com, it's time for Jim Ross to go. Jim Ross has never been seen on Dynamite since. So I'll point that out. 
Jim, Jim Ross. So we talk about, when you talk about very influential, live, I would mention. When, when you talk about very influential people, Brandon, remember that I'm here. Uh, <laughs> but in a, on a serious note, I think like what you said, Gallo, is true for for me and and maybe for you and maybe for some of the people watching this show. On the flip side, when I was at Dynamite uh, and Rampage a couple weeks ago, when Jim Ross came out to do Rampage, Jim Ross got a standing ovation. Yeah. So I do think that the AEW fan base at large is still a fan of Jim Ross. And one could argue that by making Jim Ross kind of like Rampage being like the Jim Ross show is actually making Rampage feel like it's a little bit special and a little bit more appealing. I don't know what is what is true and what isn't in that in that scenario, but I think you could kind of argue both ways. And I think Tony has even said that, that we wanted, you know, Jim Ross to feel special. We want him to feel like a special attraction, which, by the way, everyone has said uh, that those terms, including WWE, when they didn't want to have Jim Ross on the show all the time. Oh, he should be special. Just, just you know, WrestleMania main event, he can come out and he'll feel special because he's he's so great. He needs to feel special uh, as opposed to what the reality is, which is more like Jim Ross probably shouldn't be on the air that much. I think he would be great. Maybe that's why the demographic is older here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why the demographic's older. And that's the thing. Yeah, I think the standing ovation is, hey, he was a legend for the business. But do these people want to go, oh, wow, yeah, Jim Ross, we have to watch Rampage. I don't I don't think the 18 to 49 fan is doing that. Oh, I agree. I think that's probably fair. Um, I, I guess just to, to conclude this part here, I, I think there's some there's a lack of I would like to see AW have more awareness and protection of its brand and its brands, including Rampage and but including AEW as a whole. I think there are problems with AW's brand and its perception that ultimately come down to leadership. The issues with talent, including CM Punk, including the elite, including these issues with Sammy Guevara and others and Thunder Rosa reportedly and others. Um, these are problems, at least some of them that have come to a head that better leadership and it takes talent to be a good leader that better leadership should have mitigated before greater conflict happened. Um, I think there's a classic case of distraction around Ring of Honor, uh, a media property that is uh, apparently not that strong, that is taking away from the security of the value of Rampage that could have really significant value for AEW. Um, And that is somewhat contributing to Rampage's weakening ratings which is contributing to AEW's weaker argument today than it had at the beginning of this year for whether they're going to be able to make a strong TV deal. Um, and other things like putting Jeff Jarrett on TV. Um, as, as I mentioned last week, somebody behind me, as Jeff Jarrett's coming out, the song sucks, makes me think of TNA, and I don't want to think about TNA. And I think that's... That's on one hand, I think that's something easy to dismiss. So who cares? It's just, that's just a, you know one thing. It's just TNA. You know, people are going to watch the show, and you know maybe this program between Jeff Jarrett and others, you know that that's a good program. And he's cutting good promos, but I think there's something there's a real brand effect there that I think is easy to uh, to underestimate, and I think that is something that 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 should be protected in AEW. And AEW should be protected as something that is more more special and more removed from the mistakes of, of alternative wrestling brands in the past, which is something that, at least on screen, enters into the thought process when Jeff Jarrett is on screen. I think with AEW, 
um, different big difference between AEW and WWE. Um, and there's a tremendous amount of irony in what I'm about to say when it considers what this this podcast is and what it is about. There, when people come to make criticism towards AEW, um, especially from within its own fan base, there is a much greater focus on the uh, economic and business impact that certain decisions are going to have as opposed to WWE. I feel like criticisms lobbied at WWE are for the most part solely based around the quality of content. This match was bad. This angle is bad. They dropped the ball with this performer. I think with AEW, a lot of the criticisms are often based around the concept of this being having a negative impact on business. Jeff Jarrett, to me, is a good example in the sense that I think I am I am like the fan behind you, Brandon, at full gear when it comes to Jeff Jarrett, with the exception that Jeff Jarrett's music is awesome. But the idea of Jeff Jarrett screams TNA, I don't want to see think about TNA. It's bad for the brand. It's bad for the awareness of, of AEW. It makes people think of AEW as a secondary and widely considered a failure of a company because of Jarrett's presence. I don't want people chanting TNA sucks at you know the shows when if Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal are out there, Sting is out there, whatever. Um, but those criticisms can be are, are all about AEW, how this will impact AEW's business. I'm concerned that Jeff Jarrett will have a negative impact on AEW's business. I'm not as concerned about Jeff Jarrett being inadequate as a performer. I think he's been good as a promo. I think he's been good, and I thought his pay per view match with Sting and Darby I thought was a a fine performance. I thought the crowd got into it. I thought it was from a wrestling fan perspective, a pure fan. Am I entertained by this? I thought it was pretty good, but I'm also concerned about the impact it has on AW as a business. Um, I think the ring of honor thing is the same kind of criticism. I, I think the execution of a lot of the ring of honor stuff has been pretty good. I think the Chris Jericho Ring of Honor championship run has been pretty good. I think that, you know, it's kind of cooled off recently, but the whole angles revolving Daniel Garcia and the pure title and his relationship with Chris Jericho, thought that was good. I think the the the, the Jericho Ishii match from Wednesday was excellent. And I thought Claudio coming out and, and kind of slapping Jericho and setting up the match. I thought all that stuff is objectively good. But I also share some of the concerns that you expressed, Brandon, which is, is the too much focus on Ring of Honor? Is that taking thing, uh, momentum away from AEW? Is this going to hurt AEW's business in the long run? And I find that whole dynamic very different than, than criticism towards WWE, which I think nobody really cares about what decisions WWE makes will have on the impact of its business, mainly because the company is so financially secure and so much of their revenue is guaranteed that basically none of the decisions they make anyway have a real impact on their business so that it's a fruitless to worry about. Um, as opposed to AEW, kind of has this dual dynamic when it comes to criticism. There's criticism of the actual product and then there's criticism that comes from the mostly from the fan base that is concerned about AEW's long-term economic viability and we all have anxiety about that because we're worried about it collapsing. We're scarred from WCW collapsing. We're scarred from 
TNA never taking off and, and really providing uh, our true alternative. We're scared about all of those things, and we're all very concerned about AEW's business. And so I think I'll, there's kind of these dual wields when it comes to criticism towards AEW that is unique and probably leads to the company being overanalyzed and over-scrutinized in a lot of circumstances. I think I think that, that WWE has decades of, of brand equity that contribute to the, the financial security that you mentioned, which is present in, in guaranteed TV rights fees, uh, in, in Saudi Arabia deals, but, but, and, and just sort of in the notion that they're always going to get some deal that's going, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be able to in the future, maintain some sort of strong TV deal that's going to assure at a minimum their existence. Um, and that's much less certain for AEW in that I suppose, you know, if, if AEW doesn't get an increase in their TV rights, then what's the point of this business? Uh, it, I don't, this isn't, this isn't a, a long-term viable business probably if AEW doesn't get at least some kind of increase. Um, so that secure, that security is genuinely at risk, I think. Um, but I think to be has done things that, well, would have made that has done things that failed to make them more successful and more profitable and more popular than they would have been otherwise because of creative that turned people off without, without asserting any opinion. Um, Quick question here. Could, when they negotiated TV rights deal, could that say it's not Warner Brothers discovery? Could they say, Hey, we don't want rampage. We just want dynamite. Yeah. We, and, we don't like doing it. Sure. And, and, and I, I like, I, I've, I've argued, I think pro- probably the best way for AW to get the most money out of, out of this is to sell one and then the best reach is to sell one, probably Dynamite, to WBD uh, on Keep It On TBS and to sell Rampage to a streamer and to reach homes that don't have cable. And whether that's HBO Max as, as the streamer or whether that's Amazon or ESPN Plus or Lord knows what, um, I, you know, I, I think it's – I don't know what's more likely. Maybe it's, it's, maybe it's more likely that, that these will be separate deals. Yeah. I think that that is that's sort of what I'm saying here. That that was the lesson of the SmackDown, you of the SmackDown in, in 2018. You make more money selling to two people, two things that are independently valuable, than selling both of them together to one. And so, why would you allow Rampage to become a weaker TV property during this time? You know, which I, I don't think was inevitable. Um, so anyway, well, there are, there are certainly factors that have gone into play that are perhaps outside of Tony's control when it comes to Rampage, I think. So, so when he, so when he had the, when he said, we're going to start a few months ago, when he said, we're going to start really prioritizing Rampage more, we're going to try to, you know, gas it up. We're going to try to make it a bigger show. We're going to have bigger matches on it. He, he said all these things. He, in his mind is looking at his roster and he's saying, okay, CM Punk who's out is coming back. I don't know if he had wrestled the match. I don't know if he had done the, the match. It was right before All Out, he says these comments. I think it might have even been on the All Out press pre, pre-call, media call, that he says these things about Rampage. I think he might have been, I might have been asking him about it, yeah. Yeah. So his mind is, in his mind, he's got CM Punk coming back. He's going to win the championship. That's a big boost to your roster. He wasn't there. Um, the Elite, Kenny Omega, and the Young Bucks. They are just, they've just come back. They're ready to, they're, they're also, you know, coming back from, from a long absence. Kenny Omega really coming back from a long absence. So that's another big star that you have coming back that you didn't have over the last few months. Um, 
he also is, we're also looking at uh, Adam Cole that might have been available. Um, we don't know what his medical status necessarily is, but also a, a potentially big star who had been missing some time over the last few months. Hangman Page, who was on the roster at the time, but has since been out ever since uh, suffering that concussion in that match against John Moxley. Um, so you look at his roster and you say, you're thinking of what kind of who do I have on my roster who is a big star that if I put on an episode of Rampage in the main event can, you know, bump us up a few a few points in 18 to 49. Um who do we have at our disposal? You have kind of a limited number of those people on your roster. And since he made those comments, no Hangman Page, no CM Punk, no Kenny Omega or the Young Bucks for a long period of time until very recently. No Adam Cole hasn't come back. And so you're looking at your roster and you're saying, we have a much few, we have a much more limited group of what I would consider top tier talent at our disposal that we can put in those spots in Rampage. And in that scenario, Dynamite is always going to be prioritized over Rampage. I do think he could have done more. I do think that he's made a conscious decision to dedicate a lot of resources towards AEW and maybe or towards Dynamite, maybe not put the same amount of resources and energy into making Rampage a success. But there are some additional factors due to injuries and, and whatever you want to call the CM Punk situation. I would um, say this. If you're focusing on creative, that then the CM Punk and the elite absences – the most recent CM Punk and Elite absences don't come into it. I suppose CM Punk is injured, and that would have happened. So right. let's imagine that would have happened regardless. But not on a creative level, but on a talent management level, I think Tony Khan does bear some responsibility for allowing. Oh yeah, I'm not. I'm not totally absolving him of this, but I, I do want to point out that it's like you have a limited amount of people that you can put into big spots that will actually have the kind of star power to move ratings in any conceivable fashion. And they have fewer of those people at their disposal than when Tony was hyping up Rampage, uh, you know, a few months ago. Yes. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. Okay. Um, moving on to speaking of TV deals and the people who make those decisions. Um, at the RBC conference on November 15th, so that's way back two, two, day, two Tuesdays ago, um, David Zasloff, the man in the vest, he had these comments to say about the broader sports media market as it relates to his company, Warner Brothers Discovery. We'll listen to now. If you look at our look at our company as a whole, we're a pure content company. We own our content. It's a great business. When I was talking about Avod, that content has been a paid, paid for and accrued. It's over. It's ours. We put it out there now. We make money again. With sport... We're a renter. That's not as good of a business. And when you're a renter, it's a whole different calculation. What are we paying for the rent? And how much are we bringing in? I like the NBA. Uh, we have another couple of years on the NBA. And Adam is a friend of mine for 20 years. But we're going to be very disciplined. We don't have to have the NBA. 
Um, our ratings on uh, for for sport are for the NBA or you know, 30, 40 percent higher than than when it's on another platform. Um, NHL is way up. So we're, we're good at producing sport. But we also own Bleacher Report. And we own House of Highlights. Over 100 million people of under 25 are coming to Bleacher Report and House of Highlights for their sport. We're not monetizing those platforms. Those platforms could be huge for us. How do we take Bleacher Report, House of Highlights, all that which we own, now we got these rental properties for the long term. What do we do? And then what do we do with the NBA? And if you're Adam, as well as every other commissioner, you all have the same problem. You're not reaching people on their devices. And there isn't a clear one place to go for that content. And so he's got, this is a good situation for us. He's got a problem. We have a problem. Now we got to find a solution. And the solution, look, we have, you know, HBO Max itself is reach, reaches almost 100 million homes. There's an argument why you can put the NBA on HBO Max. You can throw in Bleacher Report, House of Highlights, all of our production. You have a hell, that could be a hell of a good hand. But I, I think you'll see us being very, very disciplined on sport. We have enough without doing a new deal with anybody. And I'd like to do a deal with the NBA, but we're going to have to be, it has to be a, a deal for the future. It can't be a deal for the past. So there's David Zaslav, CEO of, of WBD, talking about cost discipline as usual, kind of negotiating in public there with the NBA. The Adam that he's referring to is Adam Silver, correct? It, it is oh, not Adam, Adam Page. No, Adam no Page. it's Adam Silver. <laughs> not Adam Cole. He was referring to Adam Silver, the, the NBA commissioner, who presumably he makes this deal with. Um, sort of, you know, just, just, just shedding some, some, you know, some warning that, you know, maybe we're not going to make a huge deal. We're not going to give, you know, NBA this, this irrationally upgraded raise in, in their TV rights. Um, hard to imagine TNT without the NBA. Uh, but I, 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 maybe they end up with less NBA content. Maybe NBA ends up going to Amazon, uh, to, in, in, with some of those games with, you know, part of that package or something like that. Um, but some interesting comments there about Bleacher Report and Business Insider had an article last month sort of entertaining the notion that business uh, that Bleacher Report might end up sort of combining with uh, True TV, maybe rebranding, maybe not as more of a sports network rather than what's the big True TV show? Impractical Jokers. Jokers. Yep. Rather, than, rather than being just the home of Impractical Jokers, that maybe that becomes a home for more sports content, which is the thing that's driving much of the, the engagement with linear TV still. So uh, that could mean maybe that's, maybe that's a home for ring of honor. If, if WBD ends up having all of this, this other areas of sports content that they need to fill, um, maybe that's something that happens. Maybe that's a home for rampage. Maybe rampage gets moved there. Yeah. So just, Thoughts on that, the future of, of sports media, uh, the, the, the quality of David Zaslaw's various vests, uh, which are pretty impressive, I think. He's got a, what he's got here? a Euro, Eurosport is a brand that he favors often. Um, Patagonia, of course, and not sure what the other one is, but by God, he's intimidating. It, it seemed like he was really getting at that streaming is where he wants like an NBA rights deal to pivot to. 
when he brought up HBO Max and all that. HBO Max is gonna gonna merge with Discovery and uh yeah. HBO Max I don't think has any sports right now, but I could see it having sports uh in the future. Um, no, I don't believe I don't I don't believe HBO Max does really that much live live sports or, or really live content in general. I think you can watch no, can you watch know, like HBO's live stream on HBO Max? No, it's still you HBO can't. Go. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, they have obviously like real sports and they do a lot of the sports documentaries and stuff like that, but nothing live. I want to say like Succession would be uploaded. You could watch it almost at the same time that it was airing live. The, yeah, so like it's like a five minute gap because like I'll watch Kirby Enthusiasm that way. It's like five minutes after it's it's airing on. Okay. I think um, what I got from his comments was I think he was expressing some frustration in particularly when it comes to Bleacher Report and House of Highlights. When it comes to particularly those, both of those entities have very successful YouTube channels that have millions of subscribers. And he's talking about, oh, they reach all these, you know, under 25 people and they have all these viewers, but we can't monetize them in the same way that we can monetize. They're not nearly as lucrative uh, as entities to have, as opposed to other pieces of content that you have in more either, whether it's either through more linear cable or through streaming services. Um, and so I think he was kind of like suggesting in that way that how can we take our successful YouTube content and put, put it somewhere where it's going to actually make us more money because YouTube has a a kind of a limit on how successful we're going to be, especially when we're talking about a big corporate cable company, um, like Warner Brothers Discovery. So are we taking, talking about taking content that we would have put on YouTube and putting it on HBO max or putting it on true TV, I think those could be potential options. But I think what I got from him when he brought up Bleacher Report and House of Highlights was a sense of frustration that we're reaching these viewers. We're reaching younger viewers. We have millions of people tuning into our content, but it's kind of stuck on this platform and stuck to this method where we can't generate the kind of revenue that we want to. And how can we end up, how can we find a way to do that? One thing that I don't understand that someone who's had a, have someone who has a good understanding of the advertising business could explain to me. So why, why, and I, I assume this is true, that an impression on linear TV is worth more than an impression on digital. Let's assume all the demographics are the same. The region is the same. The age is the same. The income level is the same. But my, my assumption is that an impression or a thousand impressions, which is, I guess, how it's measured, right, CPM, is way more valuable if it's on traditional media versus if it's on digital. And why is that the case? I don't know. Uh, which I think is related to this in that, like, well, they're not monetizing Bleacher Report very much, but they're surely producing a lot of impressions. I'm sure the, the difference in monetization between Bleacher Report and traditional media is huge, but probably not as big as the, the difference in impressions between Bleacher Report and some traditional media. Um, so if, if anybody is, a, is an advertising uh, expert out there, let me know why that difference is there, assuming it is. I'm not. As a, as a funny aside factoid, we, he mentions in those comments that um, David Zasloff, you know, he says, you know, we don't need to have the NBA. We don't need the NBA. I was listening to Charles Barkley on Bill Simmons' podcast about a month ago. And it was right after Charles Barkley had signed a very large, I think it was over a hundred million dollars. Uh, I think it was like a 10 year, over a hundred million dollar deal. After with, he's flirting with live golf. 
Right. He was he signed a very big deal with Turner to remain on as a pundit on the NBA show. And he said well, during the negotiations with Turner, they said basically like we need the NBA. We can't not have the NBA. That's why we need to have you. So this is our step in making a huge investment in the NBA. So while David Zasloff can say in public, oh, you know, we don't need the NBA. Um, Charles Barkley's both reporting of how his negotiations went and the fact that he just got a giant contract from them would indicate that Warner Bros. Discovery is very, very committed to making a very, very large deal to the NBA. I could see as most people would suspect. I could see them ending up with less content, though. Yeah. And I, I, I suspect that Amazon would would eat that up gladly and put that you know take take one of their nights. Or something. I assume every single big, big, big person that's in interested in media is going to be very, very interested in the NBA, mainly because it's kind of similar to baseball as far as overall popularity, but also has a much stronger image when it comes to appealing to younger demographics. I think, you know, ESPN will want a bigger piece of the pie. Disney will want a bigger piece of the pie if, if they're interested in it. Um, don't know if NBC universal would be interested in getting the NBA back. All fans of the NBA on NBC theme song would be very excited for maybe some games to be on Peacock or be on NBC. Amazon, I expect to be very interested in it. Apple TV, I would expect to be very interested in the NBA. Everyone that covers the NBA, everyone that follows the NBA is CBS very aware. CBS would probably be back in CBS, that too. why yeah. not? Um, Fox, you know, every single one of these um, entities would be is going to be all over the NBA. And if you follow the NBA and you, you listen to any NBA podcast or you read NBA news, everyone in the NBA is already talking about how big contracts are going to be after this next television uh, deal kicks in because everyone's expecting it to be extremely large because of all these bidders popping up. It's, it's the perfect time for the rights to come up for the NBA. Um, and, and just touch on some rhetoric he's using here about rental properties. And I think it was in that clip about how most of the other content that they that they have and that they distribute is their own owned content, which is something that we sort of hear W talk about as well in terms of we own our content, we own our IP. Um, and sports is that's not the case, and that's sort of the 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 talk that we've heard from Netflix that Netflix doesn't really want to get into sports unless they can own the sports organization. Right, we've seen with Netflix's business plan over the years. Now they've kind of gone back and forth on this, but a while ago they made a pretty conscious effort to kind of punt on having um, established um, brands on Netflix and really pivoting towards investing fully in Netflix original series and making sure that Netflix owns all of these concepts. And because if you remember, it feels like it was a long time ago, but when Netflix streaming first became a thing, it was because people were watching like The Office on Netflix. And over time, Netflix prioritized, we don't want to be in the market of renting, you know, the rights to the office from somebody or the rents to friends or whatever long running sitcoms that were driving a lot of the streaming. And at the same time that the people who own that content, like NBC Universal, they, they saw the, the lay of the land and they, they decided they were going to have to run their own streaming yeah, Because service. they wanted to own their own content. Yeah. Um, and Netflix shifting more back towards everything wants to be a Netflix original. We're not going to do that much renting. They've They've... They bounce back and forth between that and streaming services actually rent out. I always think this is funny that streaming services will rent out their content to other media enterprises. So they'll they'll take something off of their streaming service and sell it to another streaming service for like 
six months or a year and then they'll get it back when it leaves. Like he was uh, mentioning, you know, I don't think it was in the clip, but I think he was mentioning Ted Lasso is, so that's on Apple TV. You have to mm-hmm. have Apple TV to watch Ted Lasso, but that's a Warner Brothers show. Like, I mean, maybe there, I assume there's like a, a licensing agreement that has a term to it. It will end at some point and maybe that ends up on HBO Max someday. I don't know. Yeah. And, and you know, it, these part of like the different, um, the things that differentiate some of these major streaming services is how much IP content do you have and how much stuff do you actually have to sell to consumers? And some of these streamers are in better positions than others. Disney has tremendous amount of eternal content. Everyone knows that. Um, Paramount plus and Peacock, not as much. HBO Max does have a lot of its content. They have all the entire HBO library. They have a massive movie collection, probably the best movie collection um, of any streamer, I think. Um, and they have either, either of you Yellowstone viewers. I am not. I've watched a little bit of it. I'm what's, too what's, young. What's, I'm too young, Brandon. Yes, to watch yes. Yellowstone. What, what's the um, what's the Kevin Costner character's name? Oh, John Dudden, right? John he was a uh, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't started the new season yet. I, I'm not watching the show, <laughs> but I do know that he was elected spoiler alert governor of Montana. Uh, and, and David Zasloff in this conference appearance quoted what's it, what's, what's the character's name? I think it's, I think it's John Dutton. I think it's the character. He quoted the character, John Dutton from the Paramount property and said, you know, when you take over just like John Dutton said, we have a lot to do. We have a lot to undo. Well, um, there's something interesting about Yellowstone. I want to try to look it up really quick um, because it ha- actually has a very fascinating history when it comes to its streaming. Um, and that it's interesting because it is a Paramount show. Yep. So it airs on the Paramount Network. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. why isn't it streaming on Paramount Plus? And it was because they sold the streaming rights to Peacock. And it was this hilarious like mix-up where it's like they accidentally sold this massive hit show to really their chief competitor when it comes to the realm. Like Peacock and Paramount Plus are like the, the, the guys fighting in the same weight class when it comes to streaming. And they came up with just this hit show. They probably didn't think about it that much at the time. But it has been a massive miscue on Paramount and, and the Paramount Plus people to sell just one of, you know, the most successful scripted show on cable. It's, it's not even close. I, it's not even yeah. close. I think that's why they have all these all these offshoots now. They're doing all these prequels. Yeah, because right. They did. They, they had like the 1894 or whatever. They Kevin have, Costner has some kind of show that's on Fox Nation, the streaming service for Fox. I don't know if that's officially uh, Yellowstone IP. That's, that, that's a streaming service for Fox News. Right. Not the streaming service. Per- Fox. Per- I, perfect synergy for, for Yellowstone and though I think that, that audience. Right. But it's been – that is a notable thing. We're talking about like renting and things like that. That is a, a very notable one is that instead of just keeping the rights for themselves on their own streaming service, they have sold it to their biggest competitor probably at a rate that is very favorable to Peacock because of how successful the show has ended up being. And go, go, when you timestamp this, I want this to say Yellowstone chit-chat. Um, no. <laughs> was branching well, off the Zaslov comments. <laughs> one other thing that comes to mind, we mentioned last week about whether our friend MJ from MJ was bringing up 
whether, you know, you know, maybe the, the tension that may exist between NBCU and Fox because they both own WWE shows and SmackDown is promoting events that are going to happen on Peacock. And we brought up the notion about what or I brought up whether, I, you know, when I watch NFL games, I think I'm seeing NFL games that are on other networks being broadcast on on the given network. And I did notice that in Thanksgiving that when the whatever it was the cbs game was on they were telling me that you know that the giants and cowboys are playing on fox later fox logo and everything for what it's worth did you notice that i i, I did because i know we had that kind of and I, th- I think that's probably an nfl uh that, that maybe some yeah there may be yeah. some some rules about that i don't think oh. cbs is going out of their way to do that <laughs> oh everyone that's uh anyone that watches a lot of the nba is familiar with the nba big board which they show on broadcasts on both ESPN Ooh, and Turner, where they just say, like, especially during the playoff time, they'll be like, all right, you know, I'm watching an NBA game on TNT on a Tuesday night. And they'll say they'll have the whole schedule for all the nationally televised NBA games. And they'll say, and the WNBA games, they'll throw those in if it's the playoffs and the WNBA season is going on. Because they'll say, you know, all right, you know, tomorrow night on ESPN, we got, you know, Pacers versus Bucks in the first round of the Eastern Conference uh playoffs and and that's at 7 p.m and then you know tomorrow you know on thursday we're back here on tnt for you know suns lakers like they 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 will show every single game it doesn't matter what network it's on so but it's not consistent either mj frenchy is is in the chat wants wants us to know that his point was more about it being taking your viewers from traditional tv to a direct-to-consumer streamer versus from one cable network to another um, sorry, I mean to step over you, Jesse. We were just saying it was not consistent, though. We talked about the Thanksgiving thing for the NFL, but when I was watching the Bills Browns the week before, they were when they would show the remaining Browns schedule. Any game that wasn't CBS did not have a logo next to it. <laughs> so you know you can watch on CBS, and part of it is on like Thanksgiving. They're not competing directly in that window, right? Yeah. So like one game is on CBS, and one game is on. Fox and then one game is on NBC for like the three games and they're all at different time slots. So there's, it's no skin off of CBS if they're like, yeah, this game's on Fox unless they want people to watch their competing counter programming, um, which I'm assuming did not do very well given that the, it was the highest for the Fox, the giants Cowboys game, I think was the highest rated NFL game uh, since uh, at least regular season game since 1990. So a bunch of people were able to plug in their TVs for uh, plug in their cable, their, their TVs for, uh, uh, it's, it's Josh Allen being a draw and just lifting all ships, probably, though. Well, it's Cowboy Giants. Yes. Um, the Thanksgiving game always does huge. I don't know. I would like to see but it broke how many people. Of, you know, broke Thanksgiving Day records. Yeah. I would like to see how many people. I, I would be very interested in knowing how many people on Thanksgiving have the game on and are watching it intently. And how many people are having it on the background while they're eating dinner. Um, Gold, do we have Super Chats? Yeah, so we have a couple super chats here. So, uh, first off, uh, Joseph Carino uh, sent us a super sticker. So, thank you, Joseph. He's been very active in the chat uh, today, too. So, thank you, Joseph, for that. And then we do have a super chat here from Big Time Baxter saying, AEW doesn't tout 18 to 49 as much. Does it even influx? Does it influx? Not sure what that means. Anybody, any, anyone have any guesses about what that means? I don't. Uh, I know that Tony Khan is quick to remind us where AEW has placed for the number of consecutive weeks in 18 to 49 viewership. Yes. Um, Tony Khan and AEW are primarily concerned with 18 to 49. Um, 
that's that's what he's always pointing out. Um, that is what the network tells them to care about. Um, they care about eighteen and forty nine. Tony Khan has said if they tell if someone tells me if, if the network tells me that I need to care about some other measure, he will. Uh, but eighteen and forty nine is the measure that determines most of the ad rates. Um, and if it's not that one, it's it's something within that one. Or, or there are some, I think you can tell what, which, which advertisements are the P50 plus advertisements, but it's always a demo and not the entire audience that's being, that's determining the, the ad rate. And, uh, yeah, uh, and that's, a, that is it here, uh, for the super chats, a little bit of a lighter day when we thank big time Baxter and we thank Joe Carino and all of you that watch today, spending your Sunday morning, and early afternoon with us. Yes. Um, quickly. We have a plug for the Post Wrestling Store. Uh, Store.postwrestling.com is running a Black Friday sale, 25% all off all T-shirts, including the WrestleNomics T-shirt, including all the Post T-shirts, including that Five Pillars T-shirt, Four Pillars, actually. Um, you can get Store.postwrestling.com. That's through, I believe, December 1st. So that is, even though Black Friday is now in the past, that, that sale is still on. There's no coupon code needed, just it gets applied automatically at checkout for all t-shirts at, po- at store.postwrestling.com. Uh, what do you guys have for plugs? Um, real quick for plugs, uh, Big Ted Baxter did uh, uh, talk about his question a little more. He says, does it fluctuate between 0.30 and 0.40? I think right now it fluctuates from 0.28 to 0.40. Mostly. It was at 0.28 uh, two Wednesdays ago, though. Yeah. Um, I would say a 0.40 would be a massive success for AEW right now. At, at this point, that would be a very, very good rating for. It'd be about it'd be about level with Raw almost. They did some 0.38s um, in September, uh, around the fallout, the all out fallout. <laughs> but yeah, a 0.40 would be very good. Um, um, we have another super chat now. <laughs> yes. Uh, yep, this one's from MJ. Why is Ring of Honor and AEW tweeting the identical program tweets to promote Ring of Honor? Is Ring of Honor even trying to be its own brand? Ring of Honor needs to be something original. Tony Khan t- told us that they are separate companies. It's totally separate. Uh, I, I imagine that MJ from MJ did, did show me the, the, the very example that he probably has in mind. And there may be other examples where they were tweeting the exact same tweet and same screenshot or video or whatever it was. Um, I imagine they're being run by the same people. And I think Ring of Honor is being run by large. It's, I mean, they're, they are supposedly separate companies, but they are being operated, I would guess, by the same staff. And they're being, you know, the, the performers are people who also perform for AEW. So it's it's not, you know, they are, I don't know, they are two different brands, certainly, but they are they are under the same leadership and probably the same staff. The, same the longer, the longer time, the longer time goes where ring of honor doesn't have its separate television show and everything about ring of honor is basically being promoted on AEW programming the harder it's going to be to make the case that they're separate companies just to the i don't really care like if they're using the same infrastructure really i don't think anyone can really say that's like problematic but when they're using the same television time it becomes pretty much impossible to argue that they're separate companies yeah, I, I want to go back and watch that moment from the press conference where, where Tony's talking to Will Washington, and, and and I think Will says something to the effect, "Well, semantics if, if for the the time being, they're sharing the same TV time," um, and it's just kind of weird that that Tony is so insistent on this perception that they are separate. Um, 
he was asked, you know, Will's question was around whether the number of pay-per-views per year, you know, like four for Ring of Honor or whatever it is, whether the number of pay-per-views in a year is the right number of pay-per-views. And uh, he, Will Will was was daring to add AW pay-per-views into Ring of Honor pay-per-views as if they were one entity. Tony Khan said, no, 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 th- those are different entities. Anyway. All right, and, and then we are now all caught up. Okay. Uh, do you guys have plugs? Not really. It's been it's been a really busy last few weeks. I unfortunately haven't been able to get around to producing as much content as I like. I think that's going to change this week. I've got a couple of things coming up, so I'll be happy to plug stuff next Sunday. What's what's the point of life if you're not producing content? Um, I know. I would not be uh, I'd be a lot of questions would be asked to me. You can subscribe to the Russellomics Patreon, patreon.com slash Russellomics to get my TV ratings reports. Been reporting quarter hours regularly. Access to the Russellomics viewership spreadsheet. Slides to this podcast and other things when I feel like it. Call him. Uh, get your Bowtie Mafia shirts at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Chris Gello. Holiday season. It's a great gift to get those. But uh, other than that, nothing super new uh, coming up uh, down the pike here. So, Okay. Okay, thanks for listening, tuning in, supporting. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hero.co.